Hello, this is Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. Today we continue our series of lessons about the servant Jesus, and today we're going to look at the preaching, the power, and the passion of this amazing servant. Let's start today by reading from God's Word with Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39. I'm reading from the King James Version today. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did sit, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he held many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. If you look at this, these sets of passages, Mark is always in a hurry. He's constantly moving the action along. He uses words like straightway in verse 21, immediately in verse 28, forthwith in verse 29, and anon in verse 30. These are action words. They picture events as happening one right after the other. Mark is attempting to focus on the main thrust of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark tries to picture Jesus as a servant, one who moves from task to task and he does everything in his power to accomplish his father's mission for his life. Mark is leading us to Calvary and on to the empty tomb. He wants to picture Jesus as the servant who gave his life to redeem his people. In fulfilling his purpose, Mark skips over large chunks of the ministry of Jesus. This is the difference between Mark and the other Gospels. Between verses 13 and 14 alone, there's a span of over a year. Mark totally leaves out the entire ministry of Jesus in Judea. Between verses 20 and 21, another span of time is passed over without comment. During the several weeks that are not mentioned by Mark, Jesus was carrying out his ministry in Nazareth. It was during this time that he preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7 and called the rest of the twelve disciples. It's also during this people that Jesus suffered rejection at the hands of the people of Nazareth. 
According to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, Jesus preached in the synagogue at Nazareth and proclaimed himself to be the Messiah whom Israel had long anticipated. The people rejected his claims and even tried to kill him. As a result, Jesus and his men left Nazareth and moved their ministry to Capernaum. It's here that Mark picks up the narrative once again. As Jesus taught and ministered to the people in Capernaum, they got caught up by what and carried away by the message of this man named Jesus. The Bible tells us that they were astonished in verse 22 and amazed in verse 27 by the things that they heard and saw. Our text today focuses on one day in the life of the Lord Jesus. We're allowed to observe him as he ministers on one particular Sabbath day. I think we would do well to look in the events of that one day, and as we do, we will see why the people of Capernaum were astonished and amazed by the word and works of the Lord Jesus. I want to take these verses and preach for a while about the preaching power and passion of the amazing servant. I want to show you the traits of his ministry that made it so amazing to those who heard Jesus preach. First of all, there was the context of his preaching. See, Jesus and his men went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The synagogue was much like the local church in those days. Every community of Jews containing ten family, families was required by rabbinical law to have a synagogue. The synagogue system was established during the years of Israel's Babylonian captivity that would have been sometime around 586 B.C. They could not go into the temple to worship, so they came together in the synagogues to read the law, teach the law, and worship God. The synagogue quickly became the center of every Jewish community. The people met there for worship on Sabbath days, which was Saturday. They would meet again on Monday and then again on Thursday. The building was also used as a schoolhouse and a courtroom even during the week. A typical service involved prayer, the reading of the law, and a sermon by a rabbi or a scribe. These men were entrusted with protecting the word of God. They were entrusted to give their lives to learning the law and sharing it with the people of God. However, the sermons delivered by these scribes were notoriously long, dusty, and dry, like some of our, some of our sermons today. The scribe or rabbi would stand and read some portion of scripture, and then he would sit down and begin to quote other rabbis. He would quote one after another, giving their opinions, but never telling the people what the law really said or meant. Usually, they would talk about the restrictions of the Sabbath day. They took a day that was intended by God as a blessing and transformed it by their legalism. Don't get me started here about some of our churches today. Transformed it by their legalism into a heavy burden that the people could not bear. And when the people left the synagogue, they were in the same darkness as they were when they arrived. So there was no spiritual light or truth in a lot of these services. So it was into this atmosphere that Jesus came preaching the word of God. The people arrived that Sabbath morning expecting to hear Dr. Dry and Dusty deliver another one of his never-ending string of rabbinical quotations. What they got was something different. What they heard that day left them astonished. This word means to be stricken as by a blow, to be struck with astonishment, to be dumbfounded. When they heard Jesus preach, it literally left them with their mouths hanging open in amazement. When the Sabbath day came, Jesus made his place to the place of, way to the place of assembly. We're no longer, we no longer worship on the Sabbath day as we worship on the Lord's day. We gather to celebrate and worship our risen Savior. Jesus thought it was important to go to the synagogue to worship. 
In fact, the Bible makes it clear that it was his custom to go in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. From what we know about synagogue services, they were dead, dull, and boring, yet and yet Jesus went. The only church he has to attend was a dead church. That's the only one he had to go to. But nonetheless, Jesus went to church. He expects no less from us. In fact, we are commanded to be faithful to the assembly of the saints in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I'm not going to preach on church attendance very often. I think if you love Jesus like you should, you will be in on, in his house at every opportunity that you have. I also do not think it's wise to fuss on the people who aren't there just because some, some people are missing. The ones who need the message aren't even there to hear it, so why beat up the sheep that have come for that day? But if the issue presents itself in the text as it does today, then I really don't mind dealing with it. We ought to go to church because we love the Lord. When we love him, there will be a desire to gather with his saints to worship and praise him. We ought to also ought to go to church because it's a testimony. When your friends, family, neighbors see you head out to the house of God, it reminds them of where they need to be. We ought to go to church even if it's dull and boring. You never know when Jesus will show up and break that monotony and do something eternal like he did on the Sabbath day. And if you aren't there, you will miss something that can never be duplicated. You ought to go to church because it's the right thing to do and it honors the Lord. There should be no debate at your house when it's church time. Everyone ought to know what's about to take place. Mom and dad and all the children need to get ready and go out to church. We ought to go to church because an absence from church is a vote to close the doors. It says, I don't even care about this enough to be there. Let's look at the character of Jesus' preaching. We are told that Jesus spoke as one who possessed authority. This means that Jesus spoke as a man who knew what he was talking about. The scribes could only quote one another, but Jesus spoke with power and understanding. A quick glance at how the scribes taught against how Jesus taught reveals why the people were so amazed at what they heard. See, the scribes majored on trivial things. They elevated the traditions of men above the word of God. They were worried about things like tithing, tithing and, and, and how far a man could walk on the Sabbath. Jesus, on the other hand, spoke about weighty manners such as life, death, heaven, hell, eternity. When they heard Jesus preach, they knew they were hearing words of eternal value. The scribes rambled on and on, quoting one another and never saying anything of any importance, yet Jesus taught systematically. He read or quoted the word of God. He explained it and he applied it. The scribes were dry as dust. They spoke of things that no one cared about in terms that no one understood, and yet Jesus used vivid illustrations and crystal clear word pictures to excite interest in his teaching. The scribes did not care about the people to whom they were preaching. They used the people for their own advantage and profit. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus spoke as someone who loved people. He cared about every person he spoke to, and he pointed them to the love of the Father. When the scribes taught, nothing of eternal value was taking place here. Their teaching was dry and shallow, and it did not bring about the life change that people wanted when they heard them. When Jesus preached, he used the word of God as a sharp sword. And when he spoke, hearts were pierced, souls were saved, and lives were eternally altered. This is how preaching should be. Too much preaching centers on trivial matters. 
preaching about men wearing tie chains, women wearing open-toed shoes, or women wearing wire-rimmed glasses is not biblical preaching. Biblical preaching takes its text from the Word of God and declares the message of the Word clearly and boldly. The preacher's mandate is to preach the Word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, and nothing but the Word. Sometimes the message will be filled with fire and glory. Other times it will be filled with something that's common and routine. Sometimes the breath of heaven will be on the preaching, and sometimes it will seem common and ordinary. But when the message is preached in truth and power, God will use it for his glory. He will not use ravings of those who major on the minors. Preacher, make sure that your message is biblical. If it goes beyond the word, it goes beyond the will of God. Let's look at the content of his preaching. We are not told exactly what Jesus said that day, but we are told that the people were astonished at his doctrine. When they heard him speak, it was like nothing they had ever heard before. It left them speechless and amazed. Jesus spoke with authority because he was anointed by the Spirit of God to preach the good news of the gospel. Look at Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. These verses give us just a little insight into the message Jesus preached into the synagogues of that day. Let's look at the content of his message. Preach the gospel to the poor. The word poor refers to those who are destitute of wealth, position, influence, and honor. Those who are lowly, needy, lacking, and helpless. He's referring to the spiritual condition of those who did not know the Lord. See, he came to save souls and change lives. He came to offer hope to the helpless. He came to offer help to, the, to the, those that had no hope and life to the lifeless. He came with the good news that was love, hope, and salvation. Are you lacking in this world's goods? Are you needy and helpless today? Do you need a savior who can change your life? There's a man named Jesus who will take you just as you are, save your soul, and change your life, and it won't cost you a dime. Jesus' message had words that would heal the brokenhearted. The word brokenhearted speaks of those who are broken in pieces, trampled down and crushed underfoot. It speaks of those who are oppressed by sin and Satan. See, Jesus came to offer healing to people that were in that condition. If your heart is broken by the cruel treatment of life, if you've been shattered by the effects of sin, if you've been crushed underfoot by Satan, Jesus is offering healing to you today. He can take your wounded life and your crushed spirit and he can bind you up with love and grace. He can take you like you are, hurts and all, and he can give you a new life in him. Jesus came to preach deliverance to the captives. The word captives literally means those held at spear point. The image is of those who have been captured by the enemy and are slated for execution. They've been captured and an enemy holds the spear against their juggler vein. One thrust and the captive would die. His blood would be poured out on the ground and he would be gone. Jesus is talking about people who are held in captivity in the grip of sin. By birth, people are sinners. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. As sinners, people are the enemies of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Lost people stand opposed to God and his will. They are guilty of violating his law, rejecting his son, and turning a deaf ear to his gospel. As a result, they are doomed 
to judgment. My friend, if you are lost, you are in the grip of the enemy. Sin like a great spear is pressing against the jugular of your soul. One thrust and you will leave this life and go out into a lost eternity. If you die in your lost condition, you will go to hell and you will spend eternity in that horrible place. You'll be isolated from God and from all that's good and pleasant. There will be no reprieve and no release. There will be nothing but pain, suffering, and fire for all eternity. You see, Jesus promised deliverance to those in that condition. The word deliverance means release from bondage or imprisonment, forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed, remission of the penalty. See, Jesus will take all those who come to him by faith and he will put their sins away from them forever. He will deliver them from the power of the enemy. He will give them everlasting, eternal life. You know, there was the recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus surely opened eyes while he was there. But his primary mission was to open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. That is the condition of all those who do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior today. They are blind to their condition. They do not know that they're lost. They're blind to their need. When Jesus comes on a soul like that, he opens their eyes and he allows them to see themselves as they truly are. This is called conviction. And it is carried out by the Holy Spirit. When conviction comes to a lost sinner's heart, that person understands that they are a sinner. They understand that they are in serious danger spiritually. They realize the magnitude of their sins and the awful cost they are about to pay because of them. They start looking for a way out. That's when the Spirit of God points them to Jesus. He reminds them of the cross and the empty tomb. He shows them that Jesus died for them because he loved them more than he loved his own life. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. They're made to understand the power of the resurrection. They're caused to know that a living Savior can forgive their sins and change their lives. And when they act on this information and receive Jesus into their lives, he saves them by his grace. He gives them a new spiritual vision and a new life. And all this comes to them because they did something so simple as believe the gospel message. He set at liberty those that were bruised. You see, the word bruised refers to those who are broken, shattered, and smitten. It speaks of those who have been battered by the power and effects of sin. Now that we've outlined the preaching of the servant Jesus, let's look at the power of that servant. You see, when Jesus appeared on the scene preaching and teaching, he caused quite a stir. When people heard his words and saw his works, they were left astonished and amazed. A few minutes ago, we depicted Jesus at a synagogue on a Sabbath morning. And while he was there, he taught the people with power and authority. Our text today still finds Jesus in that same synagogue. He's teaching the word of God in power. The people are sitting there with their mouths hanging open in amazement at the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in verses 23 through 28, Jesus shows that he has power over demons. As Jesus preaches, he's interrupted by a demon-possessed man. The demon uses the man's vocal cords, causing him to scream. The demon declares his awareness of just who Jesus is. The demon declares Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus rebukes the demon and frees the possessed man from the demon's grip. This scene has some lessons to teach us if we will receive him. What is a demon? 
Liberal theologians would say that the people in Bible times were unsophisticated and thought that people with mental problems were demon-possessed. They go on to say that Jesus knew better, but he played along with their superstitious beliefs. They would make Jesus and the writers of the Gospels liars. In reality, demons are the fallen spirits that followed Satan when he rebelled against God. You can look at Isaiah chapter 14, verses 11 through 15, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. During that time, these demons possessed the power to inhabit, inhabit the bodies of unsaved people. Demons possessed people in order to use their physical bodies to carry out the will of the devil. Demonic possession is something that Jesus encountered on a regular basis during his earthly ministry. It can be said that Satan was actively trying to disrupt what Jesus was doing and demonic activity was allowed in that time. We also need to note that the demons both recognized Jesus and his authority to deal with them. They knew Jesus. They know his power and they fear him. I mean, after all, Jesus was here when the world was created. They would, before the great fall, they would have known who Jesus is. It's sad, but often demons have more respect for the Lord Jesus than do lost people. Billions of people around this world refuse to acknowledge the existence of the Lord Jesus and they refuse to bow to his power. They have less sense than a devil. Jesus rebuked the devil and said, Hold thy peace and come out of him. Hold thy peace literally means to be muzzled. Jesus told the demon to shut up and vacate the premises. He immediately obeyed the Lord's command and left the body of the poor possessed man. Why did Jesus count out, cast out the demon when the demon was telling the truth about Jesus? Jesus did not want to be identified with the devil, but with the heavenly father. He refused to receive the testimony of demons. Jesus did not come to save the fallen angels. He came to save fallen people. He came to save winners. What gives him the most authority is a redeemed sinner testifying to his power and his identity. When the people witnessed the power of Jesus to cast out the demon, they were left amazed. They were riveted in their places when they saw Jesus do this. I get the idea perhaps this wasn't the first time this individual had showed up at the synagogue and had disrupted the service, but this was the first time that anyone had ever seen any person of authority take the devil and deliver someone from Satan's grip. When they saw what Jesus could do, they began to spread the word about him all over the countryside. I want to point out a couple of important principles before we leave these verses. There's a couple of principles. I want to express here. First of all, there are no hopeless cases with Jesus. Regardless of how low into sin a person has fallen, regardless of how firm a grip Satan may have on them, regardless on the power of the power of their addictions or the vileness of their sins, there is a power in Jesus to save them and deliver them from the grip of sin and Satan. Consider Saul of Taurus. He hated Jesus and he did everything in his power to destroy the church and the gospel. God saved Saul by his grace and changed his life. This man who so violently opposed Jesus became the mightiest weapon in the Lord's arsenal in those days. So don't ever give up. Jesus has the power to save anyone who will repent of their sins and believe in the gospel. In Jesus' day, the people weren't just excited about, weren't excited about their synagogue. It was always the same dull, boring place and a waste of time. And when Jesus came and worked in power, the people left the synagogue excited about what they had heard and seen. They spread the word and multitudes responded. 
The world is tired of the church. They are sick to death of our legalism, our ritualism, and our hypocrisy. They watch us live, and they see no difference between us and them. They hear us preach, and they believe that we're out of touch. We speak a different language, we preach a strange message, and we do weird things from their perspective. What the world is looking for is not business as usual from the church. What the world is looking for is the power of God. And when the church becomes a place where the Holy Ghost is moving in power, doing the unusual, and changing lives for the glory of God, they will come. And when we preach our message in the power of God, people will respond. I think it was John Wesley who was once asked about his popularity. His response was to say, I just get myself on fire and the people come to watch me burn. That will work for the church in these days too. If we will ever get on fire, the world will come to watch us burn. One night, a church caught on fire and was burning to the ground. As the pastor watched it burn, he noticed a man standing in the crowd watching the church burn to the ground. The pastor recognized the man because he had invited him to church many times with no success. The pastor went to him and said, Hey, I've invited you to come to this church many times, but you never came. Why are you here tonight? The man replied, Well, I've never seen this church on fire before. There's a lot of truth in that illustration. So Jesus has power over disruptions. When the services were over at the synagogue, Jesus went home with Peter and Andrew. The synagogue usually let out around noon. It was customary to have a family meal after services on the Sabbath. And when they arrived at Peter's house, they found his mother-in-law sick with a fever. It doesn't appear that the fever was life-threatening, but it left her incapacitated and unable to prepare the new meal for the family. Instead of coming home to a feast, they came home to a woman with a fever. They tell Jesus about the sickness, and he walks over and heals Peter's mother-in-law. She gets up and goes to work getting the meal ready. That's an amazing scene. They just left the synagogue where Jesus claimed victory over a devil, and now they enter a home where he's faced with a simple fever. Neither situation proved to be a problem for the Lord Jesus. Now in these last few minutes, let's look at the passion of this amazing servant. The first year of Christ's ministry has been called the year of obscurity. The second year is called the year of popularity. Mark passes over the first year of Jesus' ministry and begins at that time when Jesus was beginning to gain a following in Israel. If we follow Mark's narrative in this chapter, we saw the Lord call his first disciples. And as we follow Jesus through the events, we've seen the preaching and the power of this amazing servant. Let's look at the passions of this servant. You see, Jesus possesses a passion for prayer. You know, the duties of the Sabbath have been brutal. After preaching in a synagogue, Jesus is confronted by a demon-possessed man, and Jesus casts out that demon. And when sundown comes, all the people in Capernaum are bringing their sick and those possessed with devils for Jesus to heal them. He does this, no doubt meeting people and helping them way into the night. 
Yet a late night does not prevent Jesus from an early morning meeting with his father. We are told that Jesus rose up a great while before dawn and went to the secluded area to pray. We don't know exactly what time Jesus went to prayer, but we can guess it may have been somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m. This is not the only time that we will find the Lord Jesus involved in a time of communion with the Father. In fact, his ministry is marked by times of protracted prayer. Jesus is pictured in prayer no less than 25 times in the Gospels. Communion with the Father was one of the marks of the Messiah. What does Jesus pray about? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Since Jesus was sinless, he had no need of confession, but we can be sure that he spent much time in adoration, thanksgiving, and supplication. Jesus went out to pray that morning after a day of powerful ministry. I'm sure he took time to thank the Father for his blessings, his presence, and his power, and I'm sure that he prayed for the people who had been healed. He must have prayed that he would see beyond the miracles, that they would see beyond his miracles and be saved. He must have prayed for his disciples, that they would be men of God. He surely would have prayed for himself. He desired his Father's blessings and his power, and surely Jesus went out that morning to seek the Father's will for the direction of his ministry. Why would Jesus seek a place of solitude? It's because he wanted his prayer time to be uninterrupted and unhindered. Jesus knew that his prayer time was precious and private, and he wanted nothing to be able to come between him and the time he spent in his Father's presence. Our Lord's early morning prayer meeting has some valuable lessons to teach us as we hear him today. If Jesus, who is God in human flesh, felt the need for prayer in his life, how much more do we need to make prayer a priority in our own lives? Prayer is essential for a holy, empowered, spiritual life. Prayer is not about getting our will done in heaven. It's about getting God's will done here on earth. And when Jesus went out to pray, he probably prayed about the direction of his ministry. How many other ministers, how many other preachers should get down on their knees and pray for the direction of their ministry? Because I know I sure do for ours. We should seek God's will and his direction for our lives. And when he tells us what he wants us to do and we do it, we can rest assured of his blessings. Let me close with a few quick lessons regarding the necessity of prayer in our lives. Despite the pressures that were piling up around him, Jesus made time to talk to his Father. He was not too busy to pray, and we're not too busy to pray either. We must never allow the business of life to crowd out the essential work of prayer. See, Jesus possesses the power and the passion for preaching power and the passion for preaching and that's what we should have today the power and the and the passion to spread the word of god to those that need it here's the truth jesus came to this world and died because he has a passion for people he loves people of every class, race, and description. Jesus loves people in spite of their past, their potential, or their perversions. He has a passion to see people saved. When the people heard Jesus, they were dumbfounded. Here was a man who was preaching like he knew what he was talking about. Here was a man who actually loved his congregation. Here was a man preaching a message of life, liberty, and hope. Jesus was an amazing preacher, and he had the power and the passion to deliver his message. 
This is a message preached over 2,000 years ago, but it is a message as fresh as the needs of today. Jesus is still offering his message of hope to all those who will believe it and receive it. Here's God's invitation to you. If you've never been saved, I invite you to come to Jesus today. He loves you, and he will save you and deliver you from whatever it is that binds you today. If you're saved, but you're not where you need to be with the Lord, you need to come home. He will forgive you, and he will restore you today. If your prayer life needs work, there's no better place than to begin with a time of prayer asking God to help you today. Jesus has a passion for you. Show your passion for him. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we have had to spend together, Lord, preaching your word. Father, I pray for all those who are in the sound of my voice that may not have accepted your son, Jesus. Now, Father, I pray that you will touch them in a very special way. They will come to know your son as the Lord and Savior. And if there be those out there, Father, and I know there are who have accepted Christ, but for some reason have fallen by the wayside, Perhaps it's something somebody said to them at church. Perhaps it's something that happened in their lives. Maybe it's something a preacher said. Father, I ask you to touch their heart as well and show them it's easy to come home because the Father is waiting. Dear Lord, I thank you for your son Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.